For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. As Paul the Apostle is getting ready to conclude his final letter to the Thessalonians, he's not too proud to ask the congregation for prayer. His prayer request is very revealing. Now let's join Pastor Ross in a message entitled, Pray for Us. You know, the way a person prays really tells you a lot about who they are. Um, you know, have you ever been with a few believers and perhaps you hadn't heard one of them ever pray before? And one of them leads out and just by their tone and their approach and their conversation to God, uh, you see them in a whole different light because nothing is more real or honest or vulnerable than somebody talking to God. If ever there should be a time where all conversation lacked any pretense at all. It's just uh, a revelation of somebody's heart you see there. And I was thinking about that when I first met Barb uh, 30 years ago. I was a young adult pastor over at the Rialto Theaters, which actually was a church at that time on Summerfield. Now, I had seen Barb, and I, uh, I didn't know her, uh, but she was on the radar, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to get to know her. So I was in charge of an evangelism outreach uh, one Saturday. We were going to go door to door there near Howarth Park, introduce people to uh, the church, and hopefully have an opportunity to share the gospel. And I deliberately, intentionally, uh, paired her with me. It was smart. It's a smart idea, you know? I didn't really know her. So we're knocking on doors, and as uh, God's providence would have it, um, we knocked on a door, and a lady answered and said, oh, please come in. My daughter has just run away from home. I'm very upset, and I, I, I would like to have some comfort. Please come in. And so we sat there. We encouraged her, and it came time to pray and Barb let out. And I just thought, wow, so warm and comfortable and the choice of words. And I could tell, wow, she's familiar here. She's at home in this prayer. This isn't the first time she's ever prayed. This just reeked of a real, uh, a real familiarity with God as her father, and to tell you the truth, I could tell you where we were all seated, seated and uh, the, the, the room layout, when I thought the thought, I opened one eye, and I said, in my head, she would make a great wife for a pastor. And then I thought, oh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> kind of thing. You know, I, I'm slow to connect the dots sometimes. And so at the end of that, I was just so impressed and just, I was attracted to her because I got a glimpse of her heart, the real person on the inside. And so we went to the car and when we got back to the church, I said, uh, would you like to have lunch with me next week? 
And then, it, then I looked at her face and I said, not lunch, but lunch. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what that meant. I was just like, just saying, I just want to have lunch with you. I got a little insecure. And anyway, in January, it'll be 30 years of marriage. Yeah. So I just, I was thinking about that because our text this morning involves a prayer request and an actual prayer offered. And, and Paul asked the church for prayer, and then he's going to pray for them, the congregation. And it really reveals a lot about this, the heart of this man of God. I mean, arguably the, the, the best Christian, most productive for sure, that ever lived. And we are called to imitate him. He's always saying, hey, as I follow Christ, follow me. And so... As we look at his prayer request and then hear the prayer that he prays for his church, uh, it's only five verses, but it's pretty powerful stuff to think about. It really will help us see what's really important about our Christian life. And not to mention that prayer for each other really, uh, really increases the bond of love that we have and makes a church really uh, warm and loving as it should be. So let's take a look at the the prayer request, and and then the prayer. It's only five verses. Here it is. Finally signals this is the end of the letter coming up. So it's only one chapter left, and he's going to close. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord's faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you're doing and will continue to do the things we command. And now here's the prayerful um, thought here. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So that's our overall text we're going to take a look at. Pretty simple this morning. Uh, Two things to consider. One, uh, verses one and two, a prayer request for Paul and the pastoral team. Uh, Silas and Timothy are with him. And also, uh, verses three through five, just a prayer offered for the congregation, a church that they had planted about a year earlier. So let's take a look at uh, what Paul is asking them to pray for him about, all right? So we'll isolate uh, verses one and two for you. He says, pray for us. Think about that. It's the Apostle Paul. Yeah, pray for the Apostle Paul. Dude, well, uh, you wrote 13 of the New Testament books, and you're saying pray for us. Yeah, not just here. Pray for us. Colossians 4.3, pray for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers, pray for us. Hebrews 13.18, pray for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as you help us with your prayers. I like this in Romans 15. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of God to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Oh, you know, one writer put it really well. He said, sadly, pastors are often on the uh, lower parts of the prayer list because it's assumed falsely that they, because they have some greater knowledge or understanding of the Bible or display a strong faith and confidence in God, that there's no immediate need for our prayers because we are more likely 
to be prompted to pray for others when we perceive weakness rather than apparent strength. And so Paul is okay with being weak because he knows the source of strength is in God. And so Paul is always talking about his troubles and how the prayers of the congregation ease and lift those burdens. So he's always asking, hey, he's not, uh, I like this idea in the scriptures. Paul says to the Romans, it's not about like us on the platform and you guys down in the pews. He says, I want to come to Rome and preach the gospel there. And he says, I can't wait to, to impart to you a spiritual gift or encouragement. Then he corrects himself and says, that is, comma, that your faith would encourage us mutually, we would be edified together, built up in our faith. So it's not about the platform has, all, has it all together and we don't need anything because we know the Bible and I could tell you a verse and chapter and all of that. <laughs> Pastors have the same vulnerabilities as the people in the pews. We, we, we carry strain and, and uh, we have temptations and, and, and Paul is not ashamed to say, pray for us. We need your prayers, you know? And I'm not ashamed to say, pray for me. You guys have been praying, you know? I got kind of under stress, and I got some kind of virus, and it's looking good now, but pray for me and my family. There are 800 people that called the, the, the church their church home. It's 800, I was going to say 800 problems, but I, I don't <laughs> I, I no, 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 no. 800 blessings, but eight, 800, 800 concerns, right? And I'm telling you what, and you could say, Pastor Will, you just need to learn how to delegate wisely. And, and you, you know, yes. And you just need to take care of yourself. Yeah. But you know what? There are 800 souls on board. And there are three other pastors, Adam, Jim, and Carlin. That's four pastors, 800 people or so, maybe even a little bit more. Listen, you can use wisdom in the way you lead and you can do things that are right and make sure you take care of yourself, but you can't take the strain out of church leadership. It comes with the calling. And, and God has ordained that the people who are receiving from church leaders are to uphold them in prayers that alleviate their burdens and lift them up. And you don't just look at pastors and go, oh, he's the last one who needs any prayer from me. I mean, he needs to be praying for me. Yeah, we do. But you also need to be praying for us. And Paul's just saying, pray for us. And this is just one of many in uh, the uh, scriptures. Uh, So brothers and sisters, pray for Pastor Adam, Pastor Jim, Pastor Carlin, and Pastor Ross. Uh, The two requests that are here that we're going to take a look at now is that the, first of all, I'm very telling. First, he starts with the work that he's called to do. So what is he saying here? He's saying, there's something bigger than me and my rescue and my comfort, which is the next request. The first request, he's saying, God and God's work takes priority over me and my problems. 
So it comes out first. You know uh, his life verse in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, uh, only one thing matters to me. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of his grace. So he's saying, yeah, bigger. the big picture is I, I want you to pray that the message of the Lord spreads rapidly. And of course, that would be through the frontline missionary evangelist type of people like that. So what is the message of the Lord? He means the word of God. God's, it says God breathed through holy men that he separated. He called them apostles and prophets. And he, by his spirit, spoke and to receive those words is to receive life. It's not the message of man, not the philosophy of the world. Somebody, some dude didn't just say, hey, here's a nice way to be religious. The Bible claims that it's the very breath and life of God, inerrant, without flaw, speaking through some chosen vessels of his, namely the Apostle Paul. And so we call this the gospel. That's the old English British archaic word for good news. And what is the good news? <laughs> God so loved the world, he became one of us. Laid his life down and said, listen, the wages of your sin is death. Everybody's gonna die because everyone sins. That's the price. But you know what? If somebody paid that price on your behalf, then you'd be good to go. You could live forever and be totally forgiven because your debt has been paid vicariously, substitutionary, Lee, through him. Why did it have to be God? It had to be God because if it were just some dude saying, hey, I'll pay for their sins, he's got sins of his own, right? So how is one guy who's bankrupt going to say, hey, <laughs> I'll bail you out? <laughs> oh, really? You got a lot of money? I'm bankrupt. I'm in debt. Uh, yeah, that's why it couldn't be just a prophet or a good example. It had to be somebody who was rich without debt, the sinless one who is God in a human body, Jesus Christ. He said, that would be me. I will lay down my life. That's the message of the Lord, that whosoever receives and honors in your text, the word will live forever. Why? Not because you're good. Not because at the end of your life, God takes out scales and goes, hmm, more good than bad. You're in. That's not in the Bible because everybody has sinned. It's about being open to God's new life, believing in Christ and having new life that can never die come in. That's the message of the Lord. And that's what he's saying. Hey, if I have one prayer request, pray that the message of God that he puts in guys like me and you, church, would just ricochet and echo out and spread, the word for spread rapidly there is a metaphor that means to run as an Olympic athlete with the torch. So he's saying, listen, if the only way to get to heaven is by hearing the message and receiving it, then let's pray that that message get out there. Paul's heart, you know, he's got a burden. He believes the Bible that if you receive Christ, you're saved forever. But if you reject Christ and you don't hear the word and you don't welcome it, that you'll, you'll be lost. So he says things like, I try to build bridges with every person I meet so that by all possible means, I might save some. 
I do everything for the sake of this gospel that I may share in its blessing. So big heart, you know, he's saying just pray for us uh, who lead the effort that we'd be assisted by God's spirit. We can't do this. Who's competent to spread the word of God? He says our competency comes from Christ. So pray uh, for the message to be, secondly, honored. It doesn't matter if someone hears it and wow, the message comes through a town. Who's going to get saved? The only person who gets saved who takes the message, hears it, welcomes it. That's what the honoring is. Welcomes it with faith, makes room for it. It comes in and does what God sent it to do, to produce a life that can never die. That's when Jesus calls it being born again. That's what happens. That's what saves you when you open your heart to the message of life, the message of the gospel. So being a good person, it's about being made alive so that when it's time to die, you still live because the life of God got into you. You opened up. Your sins are forgiven and now you have eternal life. So he says, look, it won't do any good if the word spreads like wildfire, but the hearts are not fertile. If the hearts are closed, how many people today think erroneously that if I know that there's a God, and I, 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 I give intellectual assent, oh yeah, there's a God. Where would we be without the man upstairs? That they're saved. That's not honoring it. That's saying, I think there is a God. That doesn't save you. That's not faith. Faith is a personal, I believe there is a God, I bow the knee, and you're going to see a life changed by the new life God has put in me, right? That's trusting in God, not saying, of course I believe in God. We know you believe in God by the change, by what's coming out of your mouth, how you organize your life, how you behave, right? So when, here's what he said, he said, and we also thank God for you, first letter to them. Uh, we thank God constantly. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, right? As a result, what happened? They stopped bowing down to rocks and they started looking to heaven, to the living God. They stopped being sexually immoral. There's a list in there. The drunks were sober and becoming teachers, right? Angry people. They, they mellowed out. Profane people became good people. There was a change because it was honored. It, the word spread, and it was honored. It wasn't rejected, right? And so that's his prayer request. The, the second one, moving on to it, he says, uh, now we, because of our line of work, Christian workers, guys on the front line, missionaries, pastors, evangelists, not to mention uh, people, how do I say this? <laughs> not loudmouthed Christians, but Christians who speak the word of God are in the same category of danger. So he's, he's saying uh, during certain periods of history, during, uh, in certain regions of the world, it could cost you your life to simply be born again and obey the Lord's command to go into all the world and preach the good news. It could cost you your life. 
in 20 countries. Today, it's against the law to do that. You could end up dead. So what does he say? He says, pray that we would be rescued from evil and wicked men who have taken unbelief up a notch. Not only do they passively uh, not believe like some, but they aggressively counter the message. They just don't want it in their lives. That's one thing. But evil and wicked men are out there who say, I'm so offended. I I reject it with such anger in my heart that I'm going to do away with the message and the messenger. So Paul says, hey, as we all know, not everybody has faith. So pray. Pray. There are bad guys out there. And, you know, he was in jail several times, and he often, he would tell the Philippians that, uh, thankfully, by your prayers, I'm going to be able to be released from my prison. So, what did Jesus say about this? He said, heads up, in the world you're going to have trouble. Listen, they persecuted me for my message. They're going to persecute you because you say my message. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Look what they did with me. They crucified me. They called me the son of Beelzebub, which means the Lord of flies, or it's just a name for Satan. So he's saying, they call me Satan. You've got the same message as me. Christian means little Christ, right? Christ-like. And so he said, heads up. He said, some of you will lose your lives, but he said, "Uh, don't be afraid because not a hair on your head will perish, meaning I've given you eternal life. You know that Matthew 10, he says, listen, uh, some of you will lose your life, but don't be afraid. They can't do anything after they kill you. That's it. That's all they can do. And we're like, Lord, that's a lot. <laughs> He's like, no, it isn't. You have eternal life that, 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 that keeps living and you'll be with me. You know, so don't be afraid. Uh, so because of the hostility in the world to his message, um, remember to pray for us because um, not everybody has faith because not everybody wants to have faith. Why? Because the message is offensive. What does it say? Hey, you're a sinner. <laughs> Like me, you need to repent. You need to submit and bow the knee. That's offensive to people. Enough to want to kill you. When you say Jesus is the only way, makes people angry. But he told us to say that because it's the truth. And if if the truth spreads and is welcomed in your heart, you will live forever You will not perish. You will have everlasting life. So I can't change the truth because the truth saves. Right? Even if it means I'm going to get a kickback. So he says, listen, some of them don't want it. They don't have faith. They don't want to have faith. So to to find uh, forgiveness and reconciliation with him, uh, they'd have to take the offensive part too. So they feel threatened and antagonized and they aggress messenger and message. So pray for us. So two adjectives to describe the bad guys. Uh, Number one, the NIV will take the first word there in your text and say uh, they're evil. Uh, Atapos in the Greek, it means, interestingly, out of order. Meaning, you know, when you see on a machine, out of order. It's not working correctly. It means that they're not in their right mind. They're wrong-headed or unreasonable or their thinking is warped. 
So that's the first word. The second word uh, NIV calls uh, wicked there, poneros. It means violent, malicious wrongdoer, morally rotten to the core. Uh, the, the Old Testament equivalent of that word would be expressed in Proverbs 4, for they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep until they make someone stumble. That's what he's talking about there. Now, if I were to capture the essence of those two words, I would just say crazy and lawless because it really hits on what those two words mean. There are crazy people out there who are lawless. They don't want to do anything in regard to God's commands, and then they become threats. These are the kinds of guys, crazy and lawless, who walk into an opera house or a concert hall with a bomb strapped to them or a soccer stadium where 129 people lose their lives, 352 were injured, 100 critically of those 352. Um, in a crusade against the West, who they call the people of the cross. Now, to them, they consider Europeans Christian, the people of the cross, even though we know, well, you know, I don't know how many real born-again Christians there were, but in the enemy's eyes, the West, where Christianity started, in where? Thessalonica, this place. It's one of the very first Christian fellowships in, the, in Europe was Thessalonica, Macedonia, but which is modern-day Greece. They consider that warfare against Christians. Now, what did Jesus say? The time is coming, he said, when men will kill and execute people thinking that they are doing a service to God. Jesus saw it coming, and he said, hang in there. I am allowing the world. I've drawn a line with the message of the gospel. And, and Jesus told Pontius Pilate, I am the truth. I've drawn a line in the sand. Everybody on the side of truth listens to me. That's a quote from Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate. So Jesus is saying, listen, good and evil have to play out. Sorry about that. Cost me my life. Cost my cousin John the Baptist's head. And all 12 disciples save one. We're all martyred. And millions of people. I'm sorry about that. I give you eternal life. I'll help you get through it. But I have drawn a line. And, and the, the sheep are going to the right, the believers. And the goats, he calls, the unbelievers, are going to the left. Then I return. I reward the sheep. And I punish the goats only because the goats refused to be included in his loving sacrifice for them. He said, surely as I live, declares the Lord, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their sins and live. That's God's heart for them. But what can you do? You can, he's given us free will. And not all have faith because not all want to have faith. And so... Listen, here's what he told him was going to happen. He says, hey, hang in there. God is coming back. He's going to pay back evil and wicked men. And here's how he's going to do it. We, we studied this passage already. He said, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed 
from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the majesty of his power on that day when he comes to be glorified in his holy people. 1,845 references in the Bible to the second coming with blaze of fire, where God says it's a day of vengeance. So he tells his people, buckle your seatbelts. Even if they kill you, it's win-win, because you're with me. But just let the thing play out. I'm going to blow the trumpet at just the right time. I'm going to step in. I'm going to bring you to myself. And then I'm going to finish up business here on planet Earth. Trust me. Be patient. Look to me. For as lightning comes from the east and spreads to the west and lights up the whole sky, Jesus speaking, so too the Son of God shall appear and every eye shall see him. So we can hang on. I'm going to buckle my seatbelt for that because God is with us. And if God is for us, who could be against us? Amen? Amen. Oh, <laughs> I need way more enthusiasm than that. <laughs> All right. so let me try this again. If God, let, give me a little time here. If the God of the universe who speaks and makes planets is with us, then who, just tell me who, is going to harm us? Amen? Amen. Why couldn't you do that the first time? <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. It's going to be okay. Now, it's time for some encouragement. He's done asking for prayer for them, and he's going to dive in now with verses 3 to 5 that just say, and you know what? And God's faithful to do just exactly what we're asking him to do. So now uh, he says, don't worry. I like how he does this. He's first talking about his struggle. Now he's turning around and saying, don't worry. The Lord will strengthen us, you, us and you, because our struggle with the gospel is yours. You're sharing the gospel. You're letting the light shine. So he says, God is faithful to do first thing, strengthen. The word means to, listen, to establish you on the inside so that you're unmovable. That, that Satan, and it's coming up in the next passage, the devil, the, the next few sent to, uh, line there, that the devil will be prevented from a mortal blow that compromises you doctrinally or morally if you're submitted to God and don't want to be. There are Christians who are just out there, not aware and not wanting that kind of strengthening. And so they end up compromised. But if your heart is for, I don't want to end up compromised. I want to stand strong. God says, oh, he's faithful to strengthen you so that you will be immovable. Now look at that. I love this. He will strengthen and protect you from the bad guys. That's what I thought was coming. How did the devil get into this? Because he's the power behind all who are evil and wicked. There's a force behind. What did the Bible say in Ephesians 6? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of spiritual darkness in heavenly places. It wasn't some guy's idea to walk into a a concert hall and blow up innocent people. Yes, he agreed with the idea that came from 
the evil one whose job description in John chapter 10 and verse 10 is he came to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, but I came to give life. So he says, God is able to keep you from the evil one, to protect you. Now, what does he mean by that? He's saying, I love one writer put it this way, to keep one safe from the devil is to keep one safe from his realm, his destiny of death and hell. In other words, you're in the concert hall enjoying the music and then there's a blast in the seat next to you. He says, guess what? Oh, you're in glory. No condemnation, no guilt, no separation. Everything the devil stands for is death and separation from God and eternal condemnation. He said, you will not have anything to do with that even if you lose your life. He says, God will protect you from that kind of destiny. And you know, I, I just, what does he say? John 11 and verse 26. He who believes in me will never die, period. Now, how can a mere mortal man say to the whole world, hey, you believe in me, you'll never die. That right there tells you that the virgin birth means that, you know, he didn't have a father. This is God in a body who's offering eternal life and saying, you'll never die if you just simply trust in me. That's how he keeps you safe from the evil one is because that life goes straight through. The, the other thing I was thinking of, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8 and verse 1. So death, condemnation, the grave, guilt, shame, that's what he means. He'll keep you from that. He's faithful. That's why he came, right? You know, so in verse 4, he's saying, now, because of God's faithfulness, he's saying, Paul is sure that they're going to keep on obeying the word of God. And here's our prayer for you. But before he says his prayer in verse 5, look at verse 4. Verse 4 is, my prayer for your blessing isn't going to mean a whole lot if you're living for God on Sunday but partying like the devil on Friday night. So he's saying, in order to enjoy and reap the blessings of my prayer for your welfare spiritually, you would have to be in sync and obeying and submitted to God's word. None of us are perfect. But you're walking with God. You're obeying the commands. And that, now, the word obey there and command is so strong. You know, command. But think about what his commands have been to them. Oh, they're just so terrible. Uh, we command you that, and this is God's word, to love one another more and more. Oh, that's awful. Uh, <laughs> next, terrible. What? You know, the Bible. Who does Paul think he is to command us? You know, well, first of all, it's the Holy Spirit. He commands you to always be working at prayer with your heavenly Father. Oh, that's awful. And then joyful, to be joyful and thankful, to have an attitude of gratefulness to God and everything that they do, to keep their passions in check, to avoid sexual immorality, these are the, the, the things that they're commanding to take responsibility for their lives, to work hard, to not be social burden in the community, to be responsible. It's a reasonable 
Right? The, the funny thing about it, that being command, it's a sad commentary on our human condition that you have to command somebody to tell the truth. Thou shalt not lie. Oh, you need a command? Right? You need a, you thou shalt take care of your mother and father. We couldn't just figure that out. We have to be commanded to do that. Commanded in stone, thou shalt not take things that don't belong to you. I'm embarrassed that there has to be a command for me to do that. You know what Deuteronomy 13 says? Are not these commands that I give you today for your own good? God's commands are given so that we don't destroy ourselves. This is what he's saying. I command you not to destroy yourself. I command you not to go over the guardrail, down the ravine, upside down to land there. I command you to be happy. (laughs) And people are like, you know, I don't want to be happy. I'll be happy in my own way. I like guardrails. Or the lack thereof, you know? Well, uh, God's not commanding, oh, you need to do it this way because I'm a killjoy and I want to limit your life. The commands have come to bless and to give you life that is really life, not just existence, to set your heart free. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you. That one person almost started a fire there. Very good. Marianne, you're back. Uh, okay, here's what happened. First service, Marianne was leading the amens, right? And I, and I said, I could use you next service. And she came. <laughs> I thought I heard you, and I thought I was like losing my mind a little bit. All right, amen? amen. See, thank you, Marianne. It worked. Yeah, so funny thing how those commands are, you know? They bring life. And he says, with your lies in sync, with God's instruction designed for life, here's our prayer. That God, our Heavenly Father, keep directing you into God's love. What does that mean? That, er- that God sovereignly, listen to this, will make every situation, every thought, every person you meet, every circumstance, point you on a collision course with the awareness of how much he loves you. That every day you just like, wow, you're more and more wowed that, wow, God really just loves me. Hey, listen, it's one thing for you to say, for God so loved the world. The world, there's seven billion people. You know, and I suppose I'm in there somewhere. He must love me since it's the whole big world. For God so loved Scott. That he gave his only son, that whoso, that Scott, that you, Scott, before the foundation of the world, I saw you and I loved you and I, I called you out and I want you and I'm wooing you. And I, it's because of you that I laid down my life. But the world, yeah, he loves the world, but it's made up of a bunch of Scots, right? Sometimes, somehow we get lost in all of that. He came for the world, but, you know, where am I in all of that? I'll tell you where you are. In all of that, if you were the only person in this world, he would have come for you. Why would he create you in the first place if he didn't love you? He's looking at you and saying, I can't imagine heaven without you. That's why I've drawn you. That's why your heart is open. That's why you're here today. You thought it was a baby dedication. I was surprised. 
It was so that I could slip the gospel into you and save you from a terrible destiny. Because why? Because I love you. I created you. I want good things for you. Now, the Bible seems to think that the more you know how much God loves you, the more it will provoke your love and dedication back to him. Oh, when you think this is for me, that God looks at me and goes, wow, I'm the apple of his eye? Wow. That will produce an amazing motivation for you to do the hard work of being a Christian. And it's hard work. Oh, my word. He said, if anybody wants to follow me, let him, number one, get used to telling yourself no. Deny yourself. That means all the promptings that come day and night that aren't in line with God's morality for you, you have to tell yourself no, which leads to the second part, pick up your cross and follow me, which means you have to die to all the stuff. I want to answer back. Someone just insulted me, I want to insult them back. You can't do that as a Christian. You have to return and turn the cheek and guard your heart from hate and bitterness. It's hard work. But listen, he says, if Christ and God directs you into his love, and you finally, it finally dawns on you that the God who makes planets as a hobby <laughs> has looked down on your, sorry, wretched little existence and said, you, I want you. I love you. I choose you. Eternal life. And you know what? I, I, you're going to reign and rule with me in the coming kingdom. I'm going to put a crown on your head. Why? Because I just love you. When that awareness hits you, you do amazing things. Oh, you'll be kind to the, to the ungrateful. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to let someone off the hook because you've been let off the hook. Past, present, and future letting off of the hook. That makes me want to let anybody else off the hook. I call it the Ebenezer Scrooge effect, right? <laughs> you know? He walks through his life. He thinks it's real. He knows he deserves hell. And the, the, the spirit shows him, look, dude, a coffin, a grave with your name on it. And everybody's dancing in the streets because you're gone. <laughs> and then he wakes up and realizes God had mercy on him. Oh, throws the windows open, reaches into his sack, pulls out gold coins, starts tossing gold coins out. The miser is changed. Why? Because he realizes, I have a second chance because God has had mercy and love on me. And that changes him. He's walking down the street. He's hugging people. He's saying Merry Christmas. He's got joy in his heart. You know, he's, he's forgiving all the debts. Why? Because he knows that he just grazed the baddest bullet in the world. The most serious, eternal loss but because of God's love, he said, no, not you. Not you. You're not going there. Because look what I did for you, you know? It was a cross. For you. Now, the second part of that text says, may God just open your eyes. There's a prayer for it. It says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power means that God help you to, with all the Christians, to grasp how, listen to this, how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. That's pretty amazing. He says, you just got to wrap your mind around this love that he has for you, that God would take on human form and humble himself and become a slave and a servant for our good. That's an amazing thing. The, the next verse says, the closing part of this is that God would direct you into his love that you'd get it and that you would understand Christ's perseverance. What does that mean? It's beautiful. It means for you to understand that Christ has got a hold of you and will never let go. Ever. All the way through death but into eternal life. That once he's got a hold of you and you got a hold of him, that's called Christ's perseverance perseverance for you. In other words, I mean, there's a scripture that says it, Jesus speaking. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Listen to this. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And here's the will of the Father for God the Son, that I shall lose none of all that he's given me. God's will is called Christ's perseverance. It means once you connect, he just never lets go. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion. I, 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 I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've entrusted to him against that day. That's all Christ's perseverance on your behalf. It means through thick and thin, through high and low, through good and bad, through ISIS, he will never release his divine hold on your eternal soul. That's his promise. Now, if you bring those two things together, God's crazy love that you can't even wrap your mind around for you as an individual in light of what he's done, proven it, and his perseverance on your behalf that he says, I, nothing can separate. Let me read in closing the last here. If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with Christ, graciously give us everything we need? Then he goes on, who shall separate us from this love? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to this list. Christ's perseverance. This is the list. For I'm convinced that neither death, life, angels, demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. There's the love of God that he wants you to be directed into. And here it is where the separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the perseverance of Christ. Those two things. Hey, he says, when you run smack dab into that every day, do you have problems? Not really. You got a lot of answers. You got a God who loves you and everything's going to be okay. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your great love and Christ's perseverance on our sake, for our good, on our behalf. I pray, Father, that as we close out, you just touch our hearts and remind us, Lord, <laughs> that all the stuff that we're getting down on ourselves about that make us feel unworthy, you died for them, all of that. <laughs> so it's a non-issue. <laughs> you just love us, Lord. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's Dan, closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.